You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. I wonder what you expect at Christmas. What you expect of our Lord. What are you anticipating of Jesus? I love to talk about Jesus. I love to talk to anyone about Jesus. If you sit down long enough, I'll talk to you about Jesus. But one of the things you start to notice when you talk to people about Jesus is that lots of people have different ideas. People have different ideas about who Jesus is, about who God is, about what the Christian faith is all about. It would be way easier if there was just one singular idea, but that's not how things work. We all have an image in our, of, in our mind of who Jesus is and what He is like. In fact, Tim Keller, who uh, passed away this year, he was a, a famous pastor in New York City. He would often be talking with people who bring their doubts and their questions to him, and, and he would say, uh, they would say to him, Tim, I'm, 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 I've just got all these doubts and questions. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I'm not sure that I believe in Jesus. And he would often say to them, well, would you tell me about the Jesus that you don't believe in? Because chances are, I might not believe in that Jesus either. The image that you have in your mind might not be who Jesus actually is. Or slightly more comedic, I think of Talladega Nights, if you've watched that film with Will Ferrell. And uh, the main character uh, sits down uh, after a race and he says grace and he just keeps praying to sweet baby Jesus. Nine pound baby Jesus. And his, his wife turns to him and says, you, you know, you can pray to adult Jesus. And he says, no, I like, I like Christmas Jesus. And his friend says, I like, tu- I like tuxedo Jesus. He's ready to party. And his little son says, I like ninja Jesus. He fights off all the ninjas. We have different ideas of what Jesus is like. So what do you expect of Jesus? What is he like in your mind? See, we're in the season of Advent. Advent uh, comes from the Latin word adventus, which literally means coming or arrival. It's where we look to the first coming of Jesus that we read about in the Bible, and we look forward to the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus as King comes back to set all things right. But my experience is that your anticipation, your experience of Jesus changes depending on what you expect of him, what you think he is like in your mind. Is Jesus meek and mild in your mind? Is he powerful? Is he strong? Is he kind? Is he distant? Is he far? Is he tame? Does he expect nothing from you? What is Jesus like in your mind? The truth is that that question is the same kind of question that people in the time of Jesus were facing. Because they had a very clear expectation of who Jesus is and what Jesus was like, or who the Messiah would be and what he would be like. They came expecting a king. But not just any king, a conquering king, a freedom fighter, someone who was going to kick out the Romans, reclaim the land, and instill a kingdom that would have no end forever. That's what they expected. That's why they kept missing who Jesus really was, because they had this clear image and they couldn't see outside of that. But part of me lately has been wondering about Mary. We don't really talk much about Mary in churches like ours. If you've 
gone to a Catholic church or grown up in the Catholic church, Mary is kind of a big deal. We've kind of gone the opposite way and just said Mary is uh, just someone like us. But I've been thinking more and more about Mary and what she would have experienced, what she anticipated. And the great thing is that we can read about it in the Bible. So let's jump in to Luke chapter 1, verses 26. This is what Luke writes down halfway through his book, or not halfway through the first chapter. He says, In the six months, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, if you were in the first century, there would have been a number of things that would have tweaked your attention, gone, what is going on here? We, we miss them. But they both, particularly two things, really the same thing. Immediately, you have your attention piqued because of who or what is being ignored in this sentence. See, where does Gabriel come? Gabriel comes to Nazareth. Nazareth is a nowhere town. He ignores Judea. He ignores Jerusalem. He ignores the temple. All the places that God has worked most powerfully throughout the Old Testament, all the places that were considered the most holy places, he ignores and overlooks and instead comes to Nazareth, a nowhere town. This is backwater central. It's a halfway point between two port cities, Tyre and Sidon, and it was most famous for being the place where Roman soldiers lived, right? This is not the place you would expect the Messiah to come from. In fact, in the book of John, one of the other Gospels, someone says, hey, we've met this guy. Would you like to come and meet him? He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel in John, in the next slide, this is what he says. Uh, go back one? Oh, it's not there. Anyway, I can just tell you about it. In the book of John, he says, Nazareth? Nothing good can come from Nazareth. That's his expectation. This is backwater central. Nothing good and no one good can come from Nazareth. But it's not only what is being overlooked, it's who. You see, Gabriel comes to Mary. And we think of Mary. Mary is the, the, the mother of God and she had an incredible role in salvation history. But first century Israel, they She's a no one. Not only she's, she's below a no one, she's a poor peasant girl from a nowhere place, miles and miles from anywhere influential. She's not famous, she's not rich, she's not known. The likelihood would be that she's in her mid-teens. She's a teenager. She's not literate. She can't read. The scriptures that she knows would be simply from attending the temple or passed down from our home. And the most likely prognosis for someone like Mary is that she would marry young, like to a guy called Joseph. She would have babies, raise them, survive, and likely not travel more than a few kilometers from home. That's her lot in life. That's the lot of most women at that time. And yet, this is who God chooses. A no one in nowheresville. And this is who he calls favored. In the next passage... Gabriel comes to her and says, Greetings, favoured one. The Lord is with you. Greetings, favoured one. One who is full of favour, as some translations say. And the thing that would pop into our mind is, favoured one, why is Mary favoured? 
And that is actually a really key and critical question because if you've grown up in any Catholic settings, they would say something like, Mary has characteristics that make her the most likely, the best person to receive this grace. There's something about her, something about her characteristics, something about her personality, something about her humility. Don't worry about it. Something about her that makes her the perfect receptor of God's grace. Except that's not what the passage says. See, when the passage says favored ones, the word favored comes from the same word as grace, from charis. It could be translated greetings, graced one, the one who has received grace. See, what Luke is doing is not playing up Mary's extraordinariness. He's actually pointing out her ordinariness and the Lord's extraordinariness. God is extraordinary in His grace and His love and His mercy and His favor. And He is pouring it out on this no one from nowhere, which says all you need to know about God. God does not pour out His grace only on the rich and the important and the influential and those who everyone else can go, of course, that makes sense. No, God pours out His grace on ordinary people. And that is good news for us. Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty ordinary. That's what God does. Mary is not favored because she is incredible. Mary is favored because the Lord is incredible. And in particular, the Lord is with you, God's presence. But how does Mary respond? Does she turn around to Gabriel and say, yes! Grace upon grace, how excellent, how wonderful for me. I've been favored. Oh, this is such wonderful news. No, she's terrified. In the next passage in Luke 1.29, she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. I think this is an interesting translation uh, because it feels like she's just been handed like a, a, a difficult math problem. Right? She, she can't solve the crossword. She's perplexed. She's straining. She can't understand what's going on. But I reckon a more faithful transition is that she was acutely distressed. She is freaked out. Now, the youth group on Friday night had uh, the incredible blessing of, of singing carols in many of your homes. We visited 11 different homes on Friday night. A number of you had a Christmas trees up. Uh, and so it was beautiful to see all the incredible decorations that were there, the Christmas trees, all the ways that people had done things. But here's one thing I noticed. All the angels in everybody's house are beautiful. They're more beautiful than, all, than, ever, than us. They, they are the most beautiful people that have ever existed. Which always strikes me as odd is because whenever angels are described in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, angels are terrifying. <laughs> the first thing that comes out of, their, word, of their, their voices when they speak to someone is not, hey, my name's Gabriel, good to see you. It's, don't be afraid. <laughs> because the idea is, if... Like, what other response would you have? You'd be terrified. And angels come. What? So Mary's terrified, and she starts asking questions. And what does the angel do? He repeats to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You've found grace from God. But what is this grace? Because as we know the story, Mary is about to have a baby. 
but being a mother is not the grace. And we might say, well, it's, it's Jesus, but even being the mother of a child called Jesus isn't grace. Because Jesus, back then, literally meant salvation. And we have English names that mean salvation. If your name is Joshua, if your name is Elisha, if your name is Hosea, they are all names that mean salvation. And so simply being the mother of someone named Jesus was not the grace, no, the favor, the grace was about who Jesus was and what his mission was all about. So Gabriel starts to explain to her. Verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. It's the who and the what. Who is Jesus and what is he like? It's not just his name, it's who he is. He will be great. He will be a king in the line of David. Can we go back one slide, Blessing? He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Now, these are, these are fancy words to us. We go, well, this sounds pretty great. He's going to be great. Must be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, except to any Israelite. They would have immediately tweaked what's going on here. Because this is the fulfillment of a promise given to David. See, God promised David that there would be a king to come who would set all things right, that who would establish an eternal kingdom. And the, the person would be the Messiah of Israel, the Savior, the one who's going to set all things right. And so Mary, who may not have been literate, but would have known these promises. These are some of the most important promises. This is, this is a John 3.16 of their age. She goes, it's Me? Me? The king that's come is coming through me. She would have immediately tweaked on to the promise that God gave to David. This is from 2 Samuel, two slides over. This is the promise that he gives. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Next slide. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Next slide. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, as blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. There is going to be a king who has a kingdom that lasts forever. And Mary is being told, this is the king. This is the king who is to come. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the anointed one. This is the one that we have expected. That is the grace. But it's not just who he is. It's what he is set to do. See, Jesus comes not just as sweet baby Jesus, not just as Jesus meek and mild. He comes as king. And back then, that meant something. Israel was crying out for a king. They had no king at the time. They had Roman rulers, authorities over them. They were looking forward to someone kicking Rome out. 
They're looking forward to someone setting up a kingdom that would never end. They knew kingdoms that ended. They knew kingdoms that crumbled. They were looking forward to the king whose kingdom would never crumble, and yet they kept looking to the wrong king. So they thought Jesus would pick up a sword. But the truth is that the kind of king that Jesus is, he came not to conquer kingdoms, but conquer hearts. Because the great problem of Israel was not the fact it didn't have geographical boundaries. The great problem of Israel is that they were far from the Lord, that they hadn't trusted in Him. They didn't know Him. They kept missing Him. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, you search the Scriptures and yet you can't find me. You've missed the point. And it's worth thinking about why they missed the point. And I think ultimately it comes down to one key factor, is that if Jesus is the king, that means I can't be. If Jesus is the king of my life, that means I can't be the king. It's not my convictions, it's not my ideas, it's not my goals, my desires, what I think. I have to place them down under his lordship, under his kingship. If Jesus is the king of kings, the one whom everything revolves around, then it's not really about me. Now, they might not have thought in such individualistic ways, but I dare say that it was hard for the Pharisees to go, I think we've missed it. It was hard for the Sadducees to go, I think we've missed it. It was hard for the Zealots to go, I think, I think we've missed it. I think we've missed it. I think we need to follow Jesus. It's always hard for people to put down what they think is the way, the truth, and the life to actually pick up what Jesus is putting down. Which is why I think it's so incredible what happens 10 chapters later in Luke 11. Jesus is, uh, we go over a couple more slides, blessing. Thank you. So Jesus is preaching. In fact, this is a chapter filled with things that we repeat every single day. This is uh, where we have the Lord's Prayer in Luke. We have some of Jesus' most famous teachings. In the middle of the teaching, a woman from the crowd stands up and exclaims, Raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. How great is your mum? Mary must be blessed beyond everything that you could imagine. And what does Jesus say? He said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And you go, Oh, that's that's an interesting rebuke, Jesus. Because Mary was pretty great, I'm sure. Like, you don't you don't backtalk your mum, right? Like you're out with friends. You're like, what a weird thing to say. Except I can't but help think that he heard it from his mum. Because what does Mary end our passage today with? Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. The blessing that Mary received was the same blessing that we all received. It wasn't simply that she received uh, the birth of the Messiah. Oh, what a blessing and grace that was. The greatest blessing that she received was that she could hear God's words and obey it. That she could hear who God is and say, I want to follow Him. The greatest blessing that she had was that she heard the word of the Lord and could trust and obey. And it's the same thing that we have to grapple with today. It's the same thing that we have to wrestle with. If Jesus is king, what am I going to do about it? If Jesus is Lord, what am I going to do about it? Because I can hear it. Am I going to obey it? Are my words going to be Mary's words? 
Because here's what I've found. There are lots of people who say they follow Jesus. But even in our number, there are people who Jesus is not king of their life. There are people who are still saying, I'm the captain of the ship. I'm master of my fate. My goals, my dreams, my desires, they are the most important thing. And what Jesus wants, he comes second. Jesus is not king. And so the question that we all have to grapple with is will you make Jesus your king? Because if you don't, all you are doing is settling for second best. Jesus is the king, whether we like it or not. And there will come a time when every single person on earth will have to bend their knee. And so is Jesus king of your life? As you look over your life, not just as a whole, but individually, is Jesus king of your work? Is Jesus king of your family? Is Jesus king in your relationships? Is Jesus king in your dreams, your desires, your goals, your ambitions, your fears? Is Jesus king? Because that's who he comes as. Not simply sweet baby Jesus. Not simply nine pound baby Jesus. He comes as king. And my prayer for each and every one of us is that we would say in line with Mary, let it be according to your word. That our idea of who Jesus is would line up with what we read in Scripture. We go, oh, Jesus, you are the king. And that means I have to submit to you. So I'm going to pray for us right now, friends. I'm going to pray that God would reveal and draw you. I pray that God would reveal the areas of your life in which God is not king, which Jesus is not king over, and that he would draw you to seeing that him being king is better. That you could accomplish all your dreams and desires and goals, and if Jesus is not your king, they will be at best second best, if not far worse. So let me pray for us, friends. God, we thank you we thank you so much for the Annunciation. God, we thank you for what we see in the story of Mary. We thank you for her favor, the grace that was poured out to her in this moment. We thank you for the fear that we get to witness, that being a follower of Jesus isn't just happy joy all the time, but actually sometimes involves fear. But God, we thank you for her example of faith, that even the mother of Jesus would say, let it be according to your word. God, may we say in line with Jesus that it's not being Jesus' mother that is the blessing, but knowing and obeying your word. And so, God, we come to Jesus this morning acknowledging his kingship over us. God, we confess that there are many times where we have not acknowledged him as king. We have not lived our lives as if he is king. We've done our own thing, lived our own lives, dreamed our own dreams. God, would you reveal the poverty of that. Would you show us how poor a king we make ourselves? God, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the areas of our lives in which Jesus is not Lord and King over? But God, as you reveal, would you draw our eyes to see how good he is, the goodness of his kingship, that he will establish a kingdom that will not end, his reign will not crumble, that it will continue forever and it will be good. God, would you draw more and more and more people who not only call upon the name of the Lord, but call
call upon him as King of kings and Lord of Lord and King of our lives. God, we desperately need you. Align our thoughts, align our fears, align our lives with you, Lord, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.